we have over the last few weeks been going through a series of messages and our series of messages have been on foundations of the faith and basically what I've been doing in this series is presenting different areas that I believe are essential for us as Christians to know and sometimes we have been a little bit deep and that's just who I am. I am an exegete. I'm a person who likes to go in the word and pull things out of the word. And so I do that. Today, I'm going to be talking about something that is very, very, very important to me. That's the Holy Spirit. And I was never a Pentecostal. In fact, I've mentioned before that I grew up in the Brethren Church, and that doesn't mean much to many of you, but when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the Brethren Church, and hear me carefully, I love the Brethren Church. I had my foundation as a Christian in the Brethren Church, but the Brethren Church does not believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today. The Brethren Church believes that with the last apostle, the entire line of gifts of the Holy Spirit went out. And so I am this person who got saved when I was 10 years old or somewhere about there. And I started going to the Brethren Church. But I was this excited Christian. And so what I would do is I would put the children on benches in the community and I would just preach to them. Anybody who passed me, they were going to get preached at. I had my tracks and I, you, you know how you never leave home without your wallet? I never left home without my tracks. And if I pass you on the road, you're going to get a tract. And so that's who I was. I was a very excited Christian, but I did not believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So I passed my exam to go to high school, and I've told you part of that story before. But today I want to tell you about the story about when I started going to high school. I was a part of this organization in my high school called the Interschool Christian Fellowship, ISCF. And the Interschool Christian Fellowship was run primarily by students. You didn't have any adults, even though we had some adult sponsors, but you didn't really have adults in it. It, were, it was a student-run Christian organization, and we would meet every single day during our lunchtime. We would sing, we would worship, we would pray. But what was happening is that a revival was going on in Jamaica at the time. And I didn't quite understand what a revival was. We didn't even know it was a revival, but something was happening in our high schools. But our Christian organization was not a revival Christian organization. It was a Christian organization that was supposed to have all types of churches there. So you weren't supposed to be doing things like speaking tongues or 
lay hands on people or pray for healing. You weren't supposed to be doing anything like that. However, what happened was that the boys got, just got out of control. Boys, high school boys, they got out of control. So they started doing things that they were not supposed to be doing in this nice, polished Christian organization. And one day, they got so excited, they said, you want to see what God is doing? No, that is a bad way to start a conversation. But we are in this group with about 50 people in this classroom during our lunchtime. And they said, God is actually healing people. And so they started to go and say, I want everybody to check around to see if all your feet, your, your feet are the same length. And so people started checking. And sure enough, one person's, one person's foot was a little bit shorter than one. So when he walked, he walked like this because his foot was shorter. He walked with a, a, a sort of limp. And so the head of this Christian organization, Christian boy, high school, he was about, at the time, maybe 16 or so. He held the guy's feet, and he started to pray. And I watched the person's foot grow right before my very eye. That was the first miracle I ever saw in my life, somebody's feet growing right before me. Now, when you see something like that, you have a question that you need to answer. What do I believe? But maybe it was a trick. You know, maybe the guy was actually just pushing out his, his foot to match the other one. And so the guy said, I want everybody to check your fingers to see if all your fingers are the same length. And somebody from across one side of the room said, one of his fingers is shorter. And so I looked to see who they were talking about. And when I turned around to look, people behind me were looking at me. And I turned again, and people in front of me were looking at me. And I looked at my fingers, and sure enough, one was slightly shorter. But that's okay. I'm a skeptic. I don't believe in these things. And so the guy held my hand like this, and he started to pray. And I felt my finger grow. And here I am looking at my finger, and... I tell you how guys, they, they're just out of control. He said, just to make sure that everybody can see, I'm going to make it grow a little bit bigger than it should be. And so my finger is going, and it's going longer than it should be. And then he prays, and it goes to the right length. So here is this brethren who doesn't believe in miracles, and all of a sudden, I am seeing miracles, and not only am I seeing miracles, but I am experiencing a miracle for myself. And now I have to go back to the Bible to understand what the Bible says about miracles. Because my church is saying miracles are not taking place anymore. And so I went to these guys and I say, said to them, I want to receive what you guys have. 
I didn't under, quite understand it, but I knew that based on the Bible, what was happening was what was spoken about in the Bible itself. And so, since it was illegal to pray for someone to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, they took me to the photographic lab in the dark room. Now, if you have ever tried to receive the Holy Spirit, when you go into a dark room, that room was so, it's a real photographic dark room, that room was so dark, you could almost feel the darkness around you. When I went in, I had to feel to find the chairs to sit on. It was a dark room. And so they prayed for me. And after they prayed, the guy said, well, what I'm going to do now is I am going to speak in tongues and I'm going to pray for the Holy Spirit to fall on you. And when I lay hands on you, I want you to take a deep breath. And when you take a deep breath, I want you to come out speaking in tongues. And so he prayed for me in tongues. Then he laid hands on me and I took a deep breath and I came out speaking in nothing. And so here I am trying to receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit and I'm not speaking in tongues as the Bible talks about. So he says, well, try it one more time. Just take a deep breath and come out speaking in tongues. And he, I took a deep breath and I came out speaking in nothing. So he started to say, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you some words for you to say. And I, I don't know how Miss Dowdy is, is, is going to translate this, but he said, say, Ardambama. And so I said it, and nothing else came. But I believe that when I prayed, something happened. And so that evening I went home. And when I went home, I knew I needed to have the Holy Spirit come and fill my life. And so I prayed and I, I started to pretend as if I was speaking in another language. And let me tell you a little bit about pretense. We had these, these green New Testament. I don't know if you, you know the, the Gideon Bible. Well, before I received the gift of speaking in tongues and before I was filled with the Holy Spirit, at the back of the Bible you had the John 3.16 in English and Spanish and Portuguese and French. You guys remember those Bibles? Well, I used to study John 3.16 in Spanish. And whenever the guys were speaking in tongues, I used to say John 3.16 in Spanish very fast. I was bad, man. So that night, I went home and I pretended as if I was speaking in tongues. And somewhere while I was pretending, something happened. And I knew the exact second something happened to me. And I started to speak fluently in another language. I was truly filled with the Holy Spirit and nobody was around me. Nobody could say, this is what I am doing to you. This was simply the Holy Spirit coming upon me. A little later on in this message, I'm going to share some more about my experience, but I want you to know that because of this experience that I had when I was 
about 12 in my high school, 11, 12 in my high school. I have had a yearning. I have had a lifelong passion to know who this person of the Holy Spirit is. And I have had a passion to see the Holy Spirit revealed to others. And if you ever ask me, Chris, what is your biggest dream for Go Church? My biggest dream is not that we have a, a full house. My biggest dream is not that we have our own building. My biggest dream is not that we, we get lots of, of, of finances so that we can hire people to do different things. My biggest dream is that the Holy Spirit will come in power upon us. And that is what I pray about. That is what keeps me up in the night sometimes. That is what I wake up in the morning. All this week I've been just, just singing. I've just been praying, come Holy Spirit. Because that is the thing I want to see more than anything else. And our yearning for revival is rooted in God's promise that he would one day pour his spirit upon us and revive us just as he did on Pentecost Day. I have a video that I want to show you right now. Okay, we'll just take it back. Yes, Let's go back from the beginning. My prayer this morning is that each person's heart will be stirred to earnestly seek God. And as we earnestly seek God, my prayer is that God will come and touch us. Heavenly Father, as I continue to share this morning from your word and 
I speak, Lord, about this very important subject. I ask you, Lord, that you would touch us, stir us, fill us, Lord, that your Holy Spirit may come. Pray these things now, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a question here. Why pray for something God has already decreed? Because as you saw on the video, and as we know, there is a call and there is a cry in the Bible that says, one day God is going to do something mighty. God is going to pour his spirit out. And so when the Bible tells us that God is going to pour his spirit out, the question is, why should we go ahead and pray for something that God has already decreed? Because God said, I'm going to pour my spirit out. So why do we need to pray about this? I want us to turn to the book of Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. And I'm going to read from verses, verse 1 to verse 5. Daniel chapter 9, verse 1 to 5. It's on page 1247. Daniel chapter 9, reading from verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified in the word of God through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make, my, to make requests by prayer and supplications with fastings and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him, and with those who keep his commandments, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled. We have departed from your precepts and judgment. Verse 16. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem, your people our reproach to all those around us. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications. For the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. This is a kind of remote passage that we sometimes don't read that much, but I think this is an important passage for us to understand. What was happening is that Israel had lived a life that was against everything that God had said. Even though God had pulled them out from Egypt, they had been living a way that was really not according to God's plan. And so God said, one day I am going to cause your enemies to take you out of your own land. And that land of Israel is going to be desolate. And it happened. But now Daniel, in the middle of this time where he's checking the scriptures and trying to understand what's happening, 
he turns to a passage where it says, 70 years from now, I am going to lead my people back to the promised land. And so what Daniel does, he doesn't say, well, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. That's not what he did. What Daniel did was, Daniel decided that he was going to seek the Lord. Here's what it says. I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet. And here's verse 3. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make my request. See how that works? We have to agree with the prophetic word. We need to get in agreement with God's prophetic word. And so what we have to understand is what the Bible says about the coming of the Spirit. And then after we see what the Bible has said about the coming of the Spirit, we get ourselves in line with the Spirit. So what's God's prophetic word concerning the Holy Spirit? Joel chapter 2 verses 28 and 29. Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servant and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So Joel prophesied at a time of great devastation of Judah. And there was a call from God for repentance. God was saying, you have forsaken me, but I want you to return to me in repentance. And so when Judah repented, God promised that he was going to restore his people. And so this prophecy was one that God said in the middle of their devastation, one day I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. This prophecy that we have right here in Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, was actually fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. And I want to turn to that passage. Acts chapter 2, verses 16 to 18. Acts chapter 2, verses 16 to 18, and it says, But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servant, on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy, and they shall prophesy. So what happened was that Peter, who is speaking here, looks back, and Peter said, that thing that Joel said would happen one day, that is what is happening today on this day of Pentecost. This is what is happening because God is now pouring out his spirit on all flesh. But notice in the Old Testament passage it says, in the last day I will pour out my flesh. Well, if the Bible says in the last day, days I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and Peter on Pentecost said, 
This is what Joel spoke about. My question is, when did the last days end? So if Peter said, these are the last days inaugurated on Pentecost Day, what it means to us is that we are still in the last days, and so what God prophesied that I would pour out my, my spirit on all flesh, that is still happening today. And so when the Holy Spirit comes, he doesn't just come, but he comes in power and he changes everything. And we will notice that from Pentecost Day, everything changed about Christianity. Christianity started from this, just this, this small group of people. But after God poured out his spirit on the Pentecost Day, 3,000 people received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The church grew exponentially. And what happened on Pentecost is simply a sign of what God wants to do throughout the ages. And so I'm going to take a few moments right now and I'm going to share about some of the more recent revivals in history. First, I want to talk about this woman. This woman who was a nun. Her name was Elena Guerra. She was born 1835, and Elena Guerra started to read the passage in the Bible that talked about Pentecost, the same passages that I just spoke about. And as she read this, the, these passages, she discovered something is wrong about my life. Something is wrong about the church. Something is wrong about the church that I love so much. And she started to study everything the Bible had to say about the Holy Spirit. And as Elena Guerra studied more about what was happening and what the Holy Spirit wanted to do, she said, I can't keep this to myself. I have to tell the Pope. Now, nuns do not approach the Pope. If you want to approach the Pope, what you do is you talk to your bishop, and your bishop talks to his archbishop, and then somewhere along the line, if you are lucky, your message will get to the Pope. But this, this little woman, she decided, no, I need to write the Pope. And so she wrote the Pope 13 letters. The first letter she wrote, probably, I don't know if it reached the Pope, but she kept writing him over and over. Here's what she said in one of the letters. Satan's empire will be broken by the Spirit, and God would grant us a long-awaited renewal on the face of the earth. That was Elena Guerra. She also said, Pentecost is not over. In fact, it is continually going on in every time and place because the Holy Spirit desired to give himself to all men and all who want him can receive him. So we do not have to envy the apostles and the first believers. We only have to dispose ourselves like them to receive him well. And he will come to us just as he did to them. So that was Elena Guerrero. And she wrote 13 letters to this man here, Pope Pius XIII. Pope Gregory XIII. Here's his picture. 
That's it. Pope Leo the Thirteenth. And so, as she wrote to Pope Leo the Thirteenth, after a while, he said, "I am going to now do something about this nun who has been writing to me, because she sensed a yearning in her spirit for the coming of the Holy Spirit." And so, on January 1, 1901, the Pope decided that he was going to do something. He was actually going to sing and call for the Holy Spirit to come. And what Pope Leo XIII did was he said, I am going to listen to what Elena Guerra asked me to do by having a novena to the Holy Spirit. And so he, he had these, these nine days where he simply called on the Holy Spirit. And the novena to the Holy Spirit, N-O-V-E-N-A, started on the day of ascension and it led up to Pentecost Day. But on January 1, 1901, Pope Leo XIII decided, now I'm going to sing this song, Come Holy Spirit, come. And as Pope Leo XIII was in Rome, and he was singing the song, Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. On the other side of the world in America, in Topeka, Kansas, there was this woman, Agnes Osman. And Agnes Osman was in this meeting. And she started to speak in tongues. And she spoke in fluent Chinese for three days, and she was not able to speak in English. The Holy Spirit had come. Let me tell you the story, the background to this story with Agnes Osman. Agnes Osman was a part of this meeting by this man by the name of Charles Fox Parham. And Charles Fox Parham was a Bible teacher, and this Bible teacher decided, we need to have the Holy Spirit come one more time. And we need to have the Holy Spirit fill us. But I am not sure what are the signs of the Holy Spirit coming. So he asked his Bible students, I want you to do some research. And as you do some research, come back and tell me what are the signs of the Holy Spirit coming. And so he went on a preaching crusade. He came back and he spoke to his Bible students and they said, we have researched the Bible, and what we notice is that every time the Holy Spirit comes upon people, they speak in other tongues. So he decided, well, if that's it, let's pray for it. And that was the meeting that Agnes Osman was in. So the Holy Spirit came as Pope Leo XIII called out, come Holy Spirit, come. On the other side of the world, the Holy Spirit was in fact coming. Then... Following upon that, there was this black man who was blind in one eye. And this black man heard about these meetings that Charles Fox Parham was having. And he said, well, I want to go to this Bible school. I want to learn about this Holy Spirit. So this man was named William Seymour. And William Seymour decided, I'm going to go to these meetings, but because of racism, he could not he was not permitted to sit inside the meetings with Charles Fox Parham. So Charles Fox Parham 
told him, okay, what I will allow you to do, I will open the door and you can sit outside and listen. So William Seymour kept listening to what was going on and he heard about the power of the Holy Spirit. And as he heard about the power of the Holy Spirit, he said, I need to have this. So afterwards, he was called to become a pastor in a church in California. He went to this church and he started preaching about the Holy Spirit coming and he said, and the sign of the Holy Spirit coming is speaking in tongues. That rattled them. They didn't like that message. And you know what they did? They padlocked him out of the meeting. He went back that evening to, to speak, and he could not get in. But some people from the meeting said, no, 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 we will come with you. And so they moved to a street called Bonnie Bray Street in California, Los Angeles. And they started to pray. And somehow, in the middle of this meeting, the Holy Spirit fell upon the people. And when the Holy Spirit fell, people started to report that there was fire on the top of the building. The fire engine came. And when they came, there was no fire on the building, but there was fire on the roof. And they couldn't understand what was happening. And people ran out into the street and saying, something is happening, something is happening. And all of a sudden, this little house on Bonnie Bray Street couldn't hold them anymore. And so now they had to find somewhere else, and they moved to a place called Azusa Street. I don't know how many of you have ever heard about Azusa Street, but that is the result of someone deciding we need to pray for the Holy Spirit to come again. And from that person praying, the Pope sang, Come Holy Spirit. And as the Pope sang, Come, Holy Spirit. One woman started speaking in tongues. Then it went to somebody else. And then it went to Azusa Street. And Azusa Street is where the Pentecost message spread throughout the world. Now, this is not the first place of Pentecost. Don't get me wrong. There were meetings in Wales with the Holy Spirit breaking forth. But once Azusa Street happened with this African-American man whose father was slaves, the message started going around the world. And all of a sudden, the message of Pentecost was everywhere. And so, we need to call again and say, come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Because we need you to come and change everything. Sometimes in the church today, we get the feeling that the Holy Spirit is just to come and, and, and touch us in the services. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he's not just coming to, to touch us in our service. He's coming to come and change everything, so much so that the society itself will recognize that he is here. The society outside of the church needs to feel the Holy Spirit, needs to experience the Holy Spirit. I've shared so far about how we need to get in line with the prophetic word of God. And the prophetic word of God is that the Holy Spirit is going to come again in power. But we have to, to call out for the Holy Spirit to come in power. In my own life, there was a time that I needed to have the Holy Spirit one more time. After daily and I migrated to the United States, We were going to churches, and it's as if we just couldn't find ourselves 
fitting in any church. And so we went to one church and we felt as if we didn't quite fit here. We went to another church and couldn't fit in there. At one time I went to a church and I felt like I needed to put on seat belts. I was so uncomfortable. And so after a while I stopped attending church as regularly as I should have as a Christian. And then I started going to church once every other week. Then sometimes once per month. It varied. It was, there was no pattern. And after a while, my Christian life just dried up from this person who was meeting everybody and giving everybody tracts and preaching to the children on the roads. And one day, Dahlia asked me, Chris, how is your Christian life going? And I said, okay. How are your devotions going? And I said, okay. How is your prayer life going? Okay. When last have you prayed and had your devotions? And I couldn't remember. And then she said something that changed my life completely. Now, women, don't try this at home. <laughs> she said, I thought you were supposed to be the spiritual head of the family. And if you had cut me, I would not bleed at that moment. Because here I am, this Christian who knew the power of the Holy Spirit after I was filled in the Holy, of the Holy Spirit by the Holy Spirit in high school, after I had been a, a Sunday school teacher and a junior church teacher, after I had been a member of the board at my church, and here I am with my Christian life dry. And I realized how far I had drifted from where I knew I should be. And so I prayed to God. And I said, Lord, I need you to change my heart. Because my heart had become so cold. And after I said that prayer, it's as if nothing happened. But somehow, when I said that prayer, God planted a time bomb in me. And two weeks later, I'm sleeping. And from the moment I'm sleeping to the moment I'm awake, within less than 10 seconds, I am in full-blown travail. I am bawling, and I don't know why. I didn't have a dream. I didn't have a nightmare. I didn't have a bad anything bad happening to me. I was just crying my very spirit out. And I couldn't understand what was happening, so I did what any man would do. I tried to wake Delia. <laughs> and she wouldn't wake. Now, Delia, if anybody who's wondering, Delia is my wife sitting right here, embarrassed. Delia is a light sleeper. And I'm trying to wake her, and she couldn't wake. And I heard 
the voice of God for the first time in my life that I could recognize it. And it wasn't an audible voice. It was as if God was speaking to my spirit and God said, today I have separated you for service. That was my call to ministry. And he showed me. It was as if this was my first vision. I'm, I'm, no, remember, I'm a skeptic. Although I spoke in tongues from high school after I was filled with the Spirit, I have never experienced anything supernatural outside of this. But for the first time, I saw as if a screen just opened in front of my face. And I saw myself around a campfire when I was about 12 in Jamaica at a camp where I promised God that I would serve him. And he said, remember when you said that? Now it's time for you to pay. That was tough stuff. That was really very big. So I didn't know what to do with it. So I called one of my, my friends, a mentor, and he was the head of Youth for Christ in Jamaica, and so he was living in South Florida. So I called him and said, Pastor Jerry, God has called me to full-time ministry. What should I do? And he said, go back to school. I'm not going to take you along the, the, the story about my school life, but after that call to ministry, my life completely changed. The first thing I did was I started going back to church regularly, every single week. And then I bought this Bible. It's now all torn up. It's a little embarrassing. I, I actually stopped carrying it to church because the, the, the cover started to come off because all of a sudden, I had a thirst for the Word of God. I couldn't explain it. And so I'm going back to, these, the, the, to church, and they're having, incident, coincidentally, they're having these meetings about revival. And the, the pastor said, revival is when you're experience catches up with your beliefs. And I'm saying, yeah, that makes sense to me. And I believe all these things, but I have never experienced them in my life. And I need to have a revival in my life. I need to have the power of the Holy Spirit come and fill me. And so at the end of the meeting, the, the, the pastor asked everyone to come forward and he would pray for them. And as he's praying for people, he would lay hands on someone and they would fall over. And he laid hands on someone else and prayed for them and they fell over. And he laid hands and this was a time when everybody was falling over. And everybody's falling over and he came to me and he laid hands on me and prayed for me and nothing happened. And I'm saying, what am I? Mince meat? Tree's not growing out of my... What's going on where everybody's being touched by God and I am not being touched by God? And he goes down the line and he's laying hands on people and he's praying for them and they're falling over and he goes to the end of the line. And when he gets to the end of the line, the pastor of the church said, if Minister Carey, that's his name, has prayed for you, please return to your seat so that others can come forward and receive prayer. And in that moment, I became desperate. And I said, no. 
I made up my mind at that time, I'm going to plant my feet here. I don't know how you plant your feet, but I said, I am not moving. And I made God two promises. I said, Lord, I promise you two things tonight. I am not moving until you bless me. And I'm not going to help you by falling down. Famous last words. And I was so serious. And so he's going and he's praying for others. And in that moment, I felt as if a wind began to blow on my back. And I looked behind me to see if someone was, was waving their, their flags behind me. And there was nobody there. But I'm feeling this strange wind on my back. And so the minister is coming and he's laying hands on people. And they're falling over. And he comes to me and he lays hands on me and prays for me. And nothing happens. Then he removes his hand. This was, this was really God. And as, as he removed his hands, he started saying, Man of God. Man of God. Man of God. And when he said, Man of God, the third time, I felt as if a weight came on my chest. The way I describe it, when you take a dental x-ray and they put that lead thing on your, your chest, that's how it felt, but it was warm to the touch. And the weight of that took me right over to the floor. And I said, okay. <laughs> no, you have touched me, God. Thank you, I can go back to my seat. So I'm getting up. But the weight was so powerful, I fell right back to the floor. Now, what had happened to everybody is after they fell to the floor, in a couple minutes, they got up and went back to their seats. Not me. I was knocked back to that floor, and I couldn't understand what had happened to me. And so, I stayed on the floor. I'm praying to God. And I, about 10 minutes passed, and I said, okay, now it's time for me to go back to my seat, but I'm not going to try to get up again. So I scooted back to the front pew. And I sat on the floor, leaning back on the front pew. And I'm the, I'm the pastor here, and you'll see me talking a lot, and it seems as if I'm an extrovert. I'm really an introvert, if you, you know me. And I don't like when people draw attention to themselves. And so there I am sitting on the floor, and all of a sudden, I was so overwhelmed, I started to laugh out. And I'm thinking, now everybody's looking at me. Because first I fell down, now I'm laughing out, and people are thinking, he's just making this up. And in the middle of laughing, I am bawling. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen somebody laugh and bawl at the same time. But I'm laughing and I'm bawling and snot is rolling down my nose into my mouth. And I am there crying. And then in the middle of that, I felt my finger start to burn. Just the, the top of my index finger on the right-hand side. Just the top of my index finger started to burn me right here. And so I did the only thing any person could do to cool it down. I put my finger in my mouth. So now I'm an absolute mess. Because first I fell down, then I'm laughing out, 
then I'm crying out loud, then snot is running down my nose, and now my finger is burning me. So after all of that is over, I say, well, now it's time for me to go. So I go home, but my finger is still burning me. That was a Wednesday evening meeting. Thursday, my finger is still burning me. Friday, Saturday, it's still burning me. Sunday morning, I go to church, and I go to my pastor and say, my finger is burning me. What do I do? He said, I don't know. <laughs> my pastor didn't know what to do with that. So that night, I went home. And I'm in bed, not knowing what to do, and I lay down in bed, and I have my palms up like this, laying down. And I pray and say, Lord, I don't know what is happening, why my finger is burning me, but you need to show me. And I felt as if someone took 20-pound weight and just put it in my hands, and it knocked me out. The morning when I woke up, I felt as if I had taken both hands and put them in a static field, and I had electricity going through both hands. Now, this was strange. I never read about this anywhere. You, you know how it feels? If your computer is on and you put your hand on the computer and you feel the current going through it, that's how my hands felt. And that continued for one whole year. And then after a year, I no longer felt the sensations in my right hand. That was in April 1997. This is June 2011. And I still feel the sensation of the electricity going through my right hand. It never leaves me. I don't understand all that happened, but what I knew is that I was so desperate for God that I called to him and said, come Holy Spirit upon me. And in that moment that he came upon me, it changed my life completely. And that's why I'm here today because of what the Holy Spirit did in me in 1997. My life is absolutely changed. And what I want you to know is that when the Holy Spirit comes in power, when we get desperate and we call out to him, our lives completely change forever. And we need the Holy Spirit to come again in our churches. Think about what's going on in our churches right now. We, we have people who are sick. We have people who are diseased. We have people who are depressed, some people who cannot come to church unless they take a pill. Then what happens if the church is so messed up? What's happening outside the church? We need the Holy Spirit to come again. We need to get desperate before God. Time is short, but I want us to just look at the story, one short story in Israel. A time when Israel was messed up. The society was messed up. People were not turning to God anymore. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, the word of the Lord was rare in those days and there was no widespread revelation. 
I believe that this is one of the saddest verses in the scriptures. Because the Bible tells us that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And if man is having the word of God rear, it means that men were dying before God. The society was in need of God. And so we had the society that was really in need of God to come and touch the society. But in the same time that the, the, there was a society that needed God, there was this woman who needed God to come on her behalf as well. And we're going to look at this woman right now. Her name was Hannah. And Hannah was barren. And her husband Elkanah, he, he loved Hannah so much. But this other wife, this, this other woman, Miss Penny, I call her. Miss Penny used to, to laugh at Hannah because Hannah was barren. And Hannah was, was so desperate. She, she cried out to God and said, Lord, I need you to come. And, and here's what Hannah said. Hannah, Hannah did not just, just cry out to God and, and say, Lord, I need you to come and, and touch my life. Hannah said, if you give me a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. So in her desperation, she did not just cry to God and say, Lord, if you give me a son, I'm going to keep him all the days of my life and I'm going to protect him. She didn't say, Lord, if you give me a, 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 a son, I'm going to make sure that no girl that don't deserve him can come near to him. She said, Lord, if you give me a son, I am going to give him back to you. And if we get desperate before God and say, Lord, I need you to come, come Holy Spirit, but I don't just need you to come for me. I need you to come for my society. Then God hears you and he hears your desperation. He hears the yearning of your spirit. And as your spirit yearns and calls out to him, he comes. When we cry out to the Lord, the Holy Spirit is going to come. But he's not just going to come for us. He wants to come for the society. He wants to come for our communities. He wants to come for the world. Will we cry out and say, Holy Spirit, I need you. Will you cry out and say, Holy Spirit, I am desperate for you. That was my cry. And I knew that as I stood before God, unless he came and he touched me, my life would never be what he wanted me to be because I was desperate. Can we see our own desperation? When last have you prayed for someone and seen them healed instantaneously? When last have you prayed for someone and... and, and Everything changed. When last have you walked and your shadows healed them as in the Bible? When last have you, you just by the, the very presence of you entering into a room, people fell on their knees and cried out to God. These are things that has happened in history, but we are not seeing it in our lives today as we need to see it. So on this Pentecost Sunday, Would we get desperate before God? On this Pentecost Sunday, 
Would we notice our barrenness? Would we notice the fact that something in our life needs to change? Would we notice that God needs to come again and fill us with his Holy Spirit? As we close this morning, I want to pray that the Holy Spirit will come again. I want to pray that the Holy Spirit will come in power just as he came on the day of Pentecost. But now let's pray for a greater Pentecost. The Bible tells us that the latter temple shall be greater than the former temple. That just simply says that the power of the Spirit released in the final days will be greater than it was before. Can we have the Holy Spirit come again in power? Can we have a greater Pentecost? I'm going to ask Chandri if you'll just sing that song, Come Holy Spirit, I Need You. And as she sings, I want you to take a moment to examine your life. Is the power of the Holy Spirit evident in your life as it was in the lives of the apostles? Have your experiences caught up with your beliefs?
to seven that I had this dramatic yearning for the Holy Spirit, but it has never lived, left me. And this morning, there's still a cry in my heart for the Holy Spirit to come. And I wonder on this Pentecost Sunday, will we cry out to God? If you need the Holy Spirit to come and touch you, let's pray right now. Lord, we God, we need you to come, Lord. Lord God, we need you to come, Lord. Holy Spirit, we cry out to you again, Lord. Will you come in your power? Will you fill us, Lord? Will you grant, Lord God, that a greater Pentecost will come, Lord, upon our lives? For we are desperate for you, O oh God. Lord, just as Hannah cried out of her own desperation, Lord, we are desperate for you this morning. Lord, we need you to fill us with your spirit. We need you to fall upon us one more time, Lord. We need you to transform our lives, O oh God. some of you who have never been baptized in the Holy Spirit being filled with the Spirit of God it's just the same as salvation where when you pray and you ask God to come in your life He comes when you come and you ask God to fill you with His Holy Spirit he comes and fills you with his Holy Spirit. So I'm going to lead you in two prayers right now. The first prayer is if there's anyone here who doesn't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I'm going to ask you to say this prayer after me. And then I'm going to say a prayer for anyone who is not filled with the Holy Spirit. For you to ask him to come and fill you. So repeat after me with this first prayer. Heavenly Father, everybody just repeat with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending Jesus Christ into the world to die for me. I thank you that he died and rose again and is seated on your right hand. I now ask you, Lord, forgive me for all my sins. Cleanse me. Wash me. Make me a new person in you. I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. If you just said that prayer for the first time, God did what He said He would do. He is now living inside of you. He has made you a new creation in Him. But I believe that 
God wants to fill you with His Spirit. And we're going to have a whole series of meetings in July where we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. But if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit right now, say this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, thank you that you did not leave me as an orphan, but you sent the Holy Spirit who lives inside me and seals me for salvation. I now ask you that the power and the glory and the anointing of your Holy Spirit will fall upon me. Fill me with your Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. I need you right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now I want you to do what I did and it didn't work. But this time, don't look to the person who is leading you. Just take a deep breath and come out speaking a language to God. If it is English, pray in English. But if God gives you a language, a prayer language, just speak in that language right now. As God breathes His Spirit upon you. Lord, I pray for these people right now, Lord. Fill them with your spirit. May the power of your spirit be upon them now, Lord. Fall upon them in a new way, I pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. We thank you. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your people.